Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio, our second episode uh, of the week. Uh, due to the fact of the holiday, we, we did bring you uh, an episode, Thomas and myself, where we, uh, we were able to uh, look back at the SEC championship game and Alabama's big win. This episode will be more uh, looking at uh, the recruiting class a little bit because we've had another couple of additions to that since, uh, since we last spoke with you. And also, uh, all, we've uh, also, uh, we will look forward to Notre Dame in the uh, Rose Bowl, which of course is going to be played in Dallas, Texas this year uh, in uh, Jerry World as Alabama is looking to go on to the national championship game. It'll be their first, uh, you know, hookup with Notre Dame since the shellacking in 2012 when Alabama won the BCS National Championship over Brian Kelly's Irish. This Irish team, we believe, is better than that one, and yet Alabama is still a 20-point favorite uh, as uh, what, what many people believe is the best team in college football right now. And uh, we're going to talk uh, with Thomas Watts, who, of course, is the wizard behind the curtain and uh, the producer of this show from the port city of Mobile. And now we've got our third amigo back with us. He, of course, had some things, uh, uh, some play to do for uh, the uh, uh, for uh, the uh, holiday. As everybody knows, oh, there was a lot of uh, it was busy. There was a lot going on, and William Redfish Barger has now been able to get back with us. He had an outstanding Christmas, but uh, it's always good to catch up with him from '89 to '93, a member of the Crimson Tide, and of course an insider that. Uh, has uh, always has his finger on the pulse of Alabama football. But uh, William, welcome back. Uh, hope you had a Merry Christmas and a great holiday with your family. How are you tonight? Doing good, Drew. Hope the same was for you. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, first, I guess we haven't spoken with you since the SEC championship win. Uh, Thomas and I kind of rehashed that in the last episode, but we haven't been able to get your thoughts on it. Uh, it ended up being the highest scoring SEC championship game in history. Uh, is Alabama wins the game 52 to 46 over the Florida Gators. Uh, the best set of skill guys I think Alabama is going to see, uh, even counting uh, the college football playoff coming up against Notre Dame and even potentially Clemson or Ohio State. But your thoughts on Alabama winning their 28th SEC championship? I thought it was an outstanding win. Um, it's, it's amazing that, uh, you know, three or four years ago we would you know, be sitting here talking about, well, you know, Alabama only has to score 28 or 30 points and the defense will take care of the rest. And it's just total opposite of that now. Um, I honestly didn't think Florida um, would be able to put up that many points against Alabama. I thought they'd get into the low to mid-20s, but I was not expecting it to be the barn burner shootout that it ended up being. But, um, you know, I thought it was uh, outside of the – the loss of Landon Dickerson, I thought it was a great, great win for Alabama. Um, you know, the, the the guys that always show up every week and make plays, um, you know, Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, the offensive line certainly did so. Um, I think maybe the highlight of the game for me was that was that uh, sleeper move that uh, Mechie put on the floor wide receiver. That's one of the best best hits I've seen in a long time, and, and, and certainly uh, – you know, change the momentum of the game a little bit there. But, uh, you know, Drew, I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, outside of, you know, Alabama looking lost at times on defense, um, you know, with, you know, guys getting lost in coverage and, um, you know, certainly they had problems, you know, covering pits and, 
um, Tony and, and all that. But you know, other than the amount of points that Florida was able to generate um, against Alabama, what we, I guess, had thought was an improved Alabama defense, um, that, that was really the only thing that was unexpected for me. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things where I've already joked that uh, it hasn't been announced, but uh, that 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 hit and then uh, the turnover back to Alabama in the very next play, connecting with what we think is future Heisman winner Devontae Smith for a touchdown. Uh, that Daniel Moore print should be called O Canada uh, because of John <laughs> Mechie. And uh, the, and you're right, that was as good a hit as I've seen in a long time. And it turned it, you didn't, it didn't you didn't think about it at the time, but it ended up being a huge play in the game. Uh, that the, really the difference for the University of Alabama. But I will say this: I wanted to get your thoughts because he did struggle at times last year. Though I think this year he's been able to sub, including during that game at right tackle and do a nice job. Now he's going to have to looks like be in the pivot unless we see Darian Dalcourt. But your thoughts on? Uh, now Chris Owens going to have to take over for Landon Dickerson, who has been such a huge part of that Alabama offensive line. Uh, after that was the one, I guess, uh, dark moment in the game. Him, his uh, season-ending injury uh, on the last touchdown play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll be able to fill in and, and do a, an adequate job. I mean, I, I don't think he's the vocal or emotional um, leader. I think that aspect of it's, you know, that that ship sailed. Um, you know, he's, he'll be, you know, fine in pass protection. I don't think he can, you know, generate the, um, power at the point of attack that Landon Dickerson's able to do in the running game. I think he can, you know, get a hat on a hat and create running lanes for Najee Harris and the Alabama running backs. But, you know, I think, you know, you'd be kidding yourself if you think he's going to be able to do as good of a job as, you know, a guy that was a Remington finalist, um, you know, prior to getting hurt. But, um, you know, certainly Landon Dickerson has become a just almost a shockingly, um, you know, huge part of this team. Um, it was great seeing the, you know, the players rally around him and, you know, some of the stories that have kind of filtered out about his impact on this team, um, you know, and, and not, not just as a leader, but as a teammate and, you know, a friend and, and a great guy in the locker room. So I, I just don't think – um, kind of like I was kidding myself, thinking that Pete Golding could keep Florida in the mid twenties uh, and scoring points. You know, I think people are kidding themselves if they think that um, Owens is going to be able to replace uh, Dickerson at the same level of play that Dickerson was able to put out there week in and week out. Although I don't think Alabama is going to take a step backwards with him. Well, I did think it was strange though, because and what I mean is, I mean, good good grief, it was. Uh, Alabama really should have had two to three more turnovers in the game. And if they had, they would have beaten Florida comfortably, perhaps hold, held them in the high 20s to at least low 30s, uh, you know, in the game. Uh, somehow they weren't able to recover a couple of fumbles. The officials didn't call a fumble on Kadarius Tony at the one-yard line when it really looked like one. Uh, and then uh, they and Alabama, you know, were, was – probably about a half second away from getting their hands on another couple of balls that could have been intercepted. But still, I mean, uh, it was one of those, it was just a strange game because Alabama put themselves in position. So uh, Thomas and I are, are, had already discussed that we weren't as critical of Pete Golding as we had, as we'd usually been now. Yeah. It still wasn't a great performance. They did get five sacks. They did get the big strip sack turnover from Will Anderson that 
unfortunately only turned into a field goal instead of a touchdown. They're certainly going to have to play better, um, you know, in this game against Notre Dame, no doubt about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've kind of grown to expect it, though. I mean, Alabama's defense sometimes struggles in big games, so the offense is just going to have to carry the mail. I mean, and, of course, losing Dickerson is not easy, and I don't think they're going to have Jalen Waddle, According to my intel, he's not going to play in this game. Uh, I don't think it's likely he's going to play in the final uh, in the college football national championship game should Alabama uh, win as we expect against Notre Dame. And I know you've said that if it was your son, he wouldn't play again. But uh, I know he's had a, a nice recovery, a speedy recovery. But as of right now, William, I, I'm, I'm hearing it's not likely they're going to have Waddle in this playoff. No, I, I, I would be shocked to, to see him, period. Um, next time you'll see him's uh, – like I'm assuming they'll probably do another virtual uh, NFL draft. That'll be the next time you see him, or maybe some video footage of him at a pro day. Um, but like, like I said before, he he would never, um, you know, be on that field again for Alabama if he was my son. Um, and I'm sure the people that are advising him and and uh, are, are saying the same things. He's just, I mean, the only other thing that can happen is is uh, you know, outside of maybe helping his team. Uh, win and a close one would be an injury, and he just can't afford to do that again. Um, you know, and that's that, – I was having a discussion with a family member of mine um, and, and uh, you know, talking about, you know, Mac and Devonta, um, you know, being Heisman finalists. And, and I, you know, I brought up the fact that, you know, you could make an argument that Najee should be there and what would happen if Waddle had made it through the year healthy. Um you know, not that they're going to have four people from the same team, but, um, you know, how, how as a voter do you decipher, um, you know, which one are those one or two of those four, the deserving finalists? It's it's just amazing the, you know, amount of talent that uh, – and I'm not trying to take anything away from Steve Sarkeesian, but when you've got those kind of toys along with um, what I consider the best offensive line in college football, you know, you kind of have to ask the question just how difficult of a job is it? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly, but he's, he, I think he's done a great job of uh, continuing to keep this offense as potent as it is, even without a weapon like Waddle. Many who have, would lose a player like that, it would affect, it would have such a negative effect. But what we've really seen, William, is the greatness of Devontae Smith. And now, even without Jalen Waddle, and you kind of made that point earlier, uh, you still have three of the top five Heisman Trophy finalists, which is stunning. It's the first time since 1946 in the salad days of Army when they had one, four, and five. Alabama, I think, is going to end up with one, two, and five. I think it's going to be Devontae Smith and then Mac Jones. And I, you, and I could see voting for either one, but if, it was, if I had a vote, I would vote for six. I think he's the best player in the country. I think Mac would be second, uh, Trevor Lawrence third. And then I would have probably voted Najee fourth and then, uh, you know, Kyle Trask fifth. But it ended up being in reverse, Trask fourth, in my opinion. That's how he'll finish. And then Najee five. But uh, would, uh, who would get your Heisman vote? You know, I'm torn a little bit, um, you know, just because – I don't think anybody, including myself, expected this type of production on a week-in and week-out basis from Mac Jones. Um, and, and you know, I'm, I wonder, as this award has kind of evolved into a quarterback-centric 
award, yeah. um, if that's going to play a factor at all. But, yeah, I'd, I'd give it to Smitty. I mean, you know, I, that, that was kind of my, you know, my follow-up to it is, you know, what what would his numbers look like had he taken over immediately for Waddle as the punt returner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, an, that's another great point because I was joking with somebody the other day. I said, remember this, Devontae Smith's the third punt returner. Uh, because uh, we, we saw Slade Bolden doing some of that uh, before he got injured with his ankle. But Sark's done a great job, you know, without uh, Bolden, or excuse me, without uh, Jalen Waddle for half the season, uh, roughly. And then, and then Bolden's been in and out of the lineup, and he's been able to get uh, Jaleel Billingsley involved, and they've stayed just as potent. And no one's been able to stop uh, Devontae Smith. And this is where I'll bring uh, Thomas Watson into the conversation. Thomas, since we last spoke, uh, and recorded our last episode. The Heisman finalists have, of course, been uh, revealed. Uh, Ian Book, who we're going to talk about quite a bit in this episode, he finishes ninth for Notre Dame. Uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Pitts, the great tight end that Alabama had such such trouble and everyone couldn't handle, he finishes tenth. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on uh, Alabama having three of the top five, and uh, where, where would your vote go? Well. I said last week, and I still feel the same way, that I don't really agree. Like, here, here, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a shot at Dabo Sweeney here. And you cannot in one breath say that Ohio State shouldn't be in the playoff and then advocate for Trevor Lawrence to get the Heisman Trophy. Now, Lawrence only missed two games versus Ohio State's five by comparison, so there's that. But I just don't think that Lawrence, you know, a fair is a place you go to see a fat pig get a blue ribbon. And I don't agree with Lawrence being there. I just don't. You know, cry me a river that you've got a disease. But it's not a fair comparison. It just isn't. So I I would have gone heavy duty, like, I I would have had the three Bama guys and then Najee Harris. Um, But... And maybe Lawrence Fifth, if we're going to give a pity invite, I don't really know. But I just don't buy that side of it. But the thing that's most that's interesting was this ESPN storyline that got picked up last Sunday, a week ago, where they started to really push for Trevor Lawrence for, for Heisman. And I'm like, wait, really? Are we just trying to gin up some excitement here, or is this a real thing? The sports books think it's Mac jo- it's Devontae Smith followed closely by Mac Jones and then everyone else. So I'll stick with that prediction, and we'll see. I think one of the more interesting parts of this is how the whirlwind media tour is going to go because the award is given out on the 5th of January, which is six days before the national championship game. Well, the odds-on favorites are from the two contenders in that game on January the 11th. So how are you going to balance the Zoom sessions with Jimmy Fallon and the game prep that you're going to want to do? In this case, I kind of wonder if the Heisman Trophy stuff surrounding it is not actually a net negative given the timelines, Drew. Yeah, and I mean, as we've said, uh, the top 10 guys, we just mentioned Kyle Pitts was 10, Ian Book 9, Zach Wilson from BYU finished 8, Justin Fields, who uh, I didn't feel like during their their abbreviated season played at a super high level, he finished seventh. Uh, Brees Hall, 
uh, kind of came out of nowhere this year as a sophomore to have a monster year uh, at running back for Iowa State. Najee, you just talked about that, uh, finished fifth. And as you said, Thomas, you would have had him among the finalists and not Trevor Lawrence. But we know that the, the four finalists are Devontae Smith, uh, Mac Jones, uh, and uh, Trevor Lawrence, and then Kyle Trask. That's going to be your four. And the results are in, but they will not be announced until it's virtually done on January the 5th, I believe. So that's when we'll find out. We think Alabama is going to have their third Heisman Trophy winner of the Nick Saban era. And if if it is Devontae Smith, guys, it's pretty significant, William, because it'll be from your era, the last wide receiver that we saw uh, during an, uh, what was a great year for Alabama. It was David Palmer's freshman year. It was an 11-1 season for the Crimson Tide, but it was the great Desmond Howard who won the Heisman that year as the last true wide receiver to do it. But if you look at their numbers and and uh, hold them up uh, side by side, uh, Desmond, of course, in 12 games, uh, and then so far Devontae Smith in 11. Smitty's got three or 400 more yards. He has three less touchdowns, uh, but they're very, very similar uh, you know, and, and of course, Desmond had one more uh, punt return touchdown, but uh, the numbers are pretty stunning and in the, in the, in really they favor Devontae. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a cool deal if he can become the, the first wide receiver since 1991 to win the award. Well, I got to be honest, if, if, if it were me and I had a vote, um, I might even put Kyle Pitts in front of Najee, and there's no way in hell I'd put Kyle Trask in front of Kyle Pitts. Um, I mean, that that's one of the best performances I've seen. I got to see Florida play four or five games this year, and I right. mean, nobody, nobody, including Nick Saban, um, slowed that guy down a single, you know, other than, you know, when he got dinged up with an injury a little bit. Um, right. Maybe – you, know, you you could make an argument um, that, that, you know, he's the best tight end in college football in the last 30 years. I can't think of one that's been any better. Not Kellen Winslow, uh, not Jeremy Shockey. I mean, that guy is a absolute stud. Yeah, and I think you're going to see him. Uh, he'll be rewarded in the draft. He's not going to play in the uh, – no shock there. He's not going to play in the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma – uh, but he's pretty much a lock, William, to be a top ten pick. He might even end up in the top five. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, that that guy just I – mean, he's another one, uh, much in the same way as, as you know, Mac Jones, um, you know, just skyrocket out of the gate, you know, in September with the season. I mean, I thought he was a good player last year. But, um, you know, and you look at this. Do you think – Dan Mullen would have a, 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 a easier time uh, finding another quarterback to get Kyle Pitts comparable numbers, or what would Kyle Trask numbers have looked like this season without Kyle Pitts? I mean, it's a pretty simple argument. Well, it is, and I know that get the Gators were able to win a couple of those games after, as you said, Kyle Pitts got knocked out, but uh, their offense was uh, really nearly unstoppable when he was in the lineup, so that's a, it's a, a great let's, point. To let's make. don't forget ourselves. Kyle Pitts had a pretty nice season in 2019 with Felipe Franks throwing him the football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of took off when Trask got the job after after uh, Felipe got hurt. You're, but you're right. Uh, the the guy is a matchup nightmare, no question about it, and uh, is going to be a star in the NFL. I mean, I'll be shocked 
uh, if he's not uh, with the with with it with where football is going, uh, no doubt about it. But now, I mean, we can turn our attention to Alabama and Notre Dame. Uh, the Tide surviving a shootout uh, against the Florida Gators. William, I, I remember you were uh, you had seen that Notre Dame team kind of up close during your travels uh, in your when you were uh, uh, working for a uh, in a pre, uh, for a previous employer. Uh, it was kind of funny that year. You ended up getting a close look at Notre Dame's facilities and players, and you basically said that uh, it was going to be a mismatch with Alabama and Notre Dame with what you saw up close. Um, this year, I think this Notre Dame team, I've been more impressed with them. I did say that, though. I will say uh, the way they fell flat against Clemson when Clemson had their entire defensive lineup was very concerning. Uh, your thoughts on uh, this matchup? I, I think this Notre Dame team, is better than that one was, but I'm still not sure that they're going to be good enough uh, to have a chance to win in the fourth quarter against the tie. No, and I, I, I agree with what you said. I, I think this team is, I don't even know if I can say better, um, especially after the collapse against Clemson a couple weeks ago, but they're, they're certainly more athletic. I mean, they're better at the quarterback yeah. position. Uh, they're better at the offensive line position. They're better. They got a better tight end. Um, you know, the the thing that they, they probably are a little bit better defensively, maybe not a whole lot, but I just think that um, they're not going to be able to go toe to toe for four quarters. Um, this is a, um, a not a really good matchup for Notre Dame. Um, you know, with Alabama, and uh, I, I think Alabama will win the, win the game comfortably. Um, probably um, you'll see a, a heavy dose of Najee Harris in the fourth quarter, and, uh, you know, I, I would feel a lot more comfortable about this if, if Landon Dickerson was in there because he is such a, you know, a driving force in that offensive line, you know, from a communication standpoint and what he's able to do as an offensive lineman, but um, yeah, I think this Notre Dame team is, is, you know, better than what you saw in 2012. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Um, you know, I, I, but they made a, a decent little comeback in the second half, but that team basically laid down and quit in the second quarter. And, and to be quite honest with you, based on his body language and his comments mm-hmm. going into halftime, so did their head coach, Brian Kelly. Uh, well, I know Thomas has been studying this Notre Dame team quite a bit uh, in anticipation of this episode. Thomas, uh, your thoughts on uh, Alabama's matchup with the Irish? Well, so I think there needs to be just just one big deal. As much as losing Landon Dickerson is a problem for the Alabama Crimson Tide, Notre Dame is on at best their third-string center. And Mm -hmm. the offensive line has taken a fairly significant step back because of that. Uh, Notre Dame's offensive line – you know, one of the reasons that Notre Dame really beat Clemson up in the first game is because the offensive line, the Notre Dame offensive line, absolutely dominated the Clemson defensive front. It was brutal. It was ugly. And they also were able to do enough to slow down the Clemson offense. I don't really think that they slowed down part of what Clemson wanted to do. You know, DJ Uyunglele still had 400-some-odd yards. But, you know – that is a question mark now because the last time Notre Dame was out there, they got utterly <laughs> dominated on the line of scrimmage. And Ian Book is a good quarterback. 
you don't win 30 games for Notre Dame in your career without being a good QB. But there's a lot to be concerned about because if the game comes down to him essentially being Johnny Manziel um, Ah. freelance, that's, that's big, big trouble for the Notre Dame fighting Irish Drew. Well, and here's my point. I was just looking at their stats, and, and Book, you're right. Book is a good player. He can freelance. He has good mobility. So, you, honestly, you usually don't say this, but what you really want to do is keep him in the pocket. Keep him in the pocket, make him make decisions and make plays. Because you look at Alabama, for example, and the way the big plays Alabama's been able to make vertically down the field, guys. Uh, basically, their lead receiver is a senior from Corona, California, Javon McKinley, who had a great first game against Clemson. But he's their lead receiver with 40 catches for 697 yards. Basically, Mechie has better numbers than that. They, the rest of their wide receivers, nobody has even 400 receiving yards. I mean, uh, the, the graduate transfer, uh, uh, Scourneck, uh, if from uh, Northwestern, he's only got about 400, and he's a bigger kind of a been been scourneck. He's more of a uh, you know a red zone threat. And then of course I, I and like William, I really like the freshman from Kentucky, Michael Mayer. He's a big dude, 35 catches, nearly 400 yards, and two touchdowns. But they're not explosive guys, and so that's where you know. To me, Alabama has to stop the run first because their tailback, you know, has had a great year. The sophomore from St. Louis, Missouri, Kyron Williams, they've got to, you know, stop him. If they stop Notre Dame's run and put them in some long yardage situations, I still think Notre Dame's going to turn it over two or three times and this game is going to get away from the Irish because and because Kyron Williams is a really solid back. He, he As a receiver and runner, he's probably their biggest big play threat. So, They've got to take him away first, but that's the the thing that I look at when I look at their numbers as a team and you look at it, uh, Ian Book, really 64% completions, but only 8.3 yards per attempt, only 15 touchdowns. And like we said, if you look at it going forward, their receivers only average uh, as a group uh, 13 yards per reception. So you don't see a lot of the big plays. McKinley's biggest catch of the year is 53 yards. And then, and then Scour next 73. So they haven't made a ton of explosive plays. But as I said, Kyron Williams, this doesn't surprise me. Much like Najee, he's got nearly 300 yards receiving. So he's a definite threat out of the backfield. He had a 75-yard catch and run. So to me, the first thing they've got to do, William, is take away the tailback. Well, and, and you know, not to, you know, bang on the kid at all. That is, you know, an impressive win total. But you know, is it really that difficult to win 30 games with the schedule that Notre Dame plays on an annual basis? Um, and th- this is going to sound like complete blasphemy coming uh, from me. But listening to y'all talk about the way their offense breaks down, you know, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, put, put you know, I think Job and Sertan, either one can, you know, shut down McKinley and, uh you know, it sounds to me like the game plan for Pete Golding should be play the old good old mush rush and, like you said, keep uh, a book in the pocket 
and I just don't think, you know, with that, that, that offensive line is going to be able to just grind it out against Alabama's front seven. And, and also, too, I thought a bigger factor um, in, in Notre Dame's ability to beat Clemson the first go-around wasn't so much that Trevor Lawrence wasn't available. It was the fact that I'm, if my memory's right, I know there were three. It might have been they had four. Uh, Clemson had four starters not available for that game on defense. Yeah, that's right. That was a huge part of it, and that's why Thomas was talking about how it was such a stark difference, whereas Clemson got dominated up front defensively in the first matchup. But Thomas, in the second one, it was a completely flipped script where Clemson basically just uh, suffocated Notre Dame. Well, I'll take up for Notre Dame in this way, Drew. I think that game, Notre Dame was in it, and then suddenly they weren't. And what I mean is Notre Dame as a team is predicated on efficiency. They, yeah. They, and, you know, what do I mean when I say that? I mean that their offense is not very flexible in terms of response to adversity, whether it be a tackle for loss or a missed fourth down or a missed field goal, some kind of missed opportunity out there. You know, t- take, your, take your pick of potential offensive misfires. And, you know, Notre Dame, if you look at – if you just time box the first quarter stats of the second Notre Dame-Clemson game, Notre Dame was effectively pounding with Kyron Williams. And they were moving the ball. They just couldn't get it all the way across the goal. And Trevor Lawrence threw an interception, but then pop over the top to Amari Rogers, and Notre Dame is not able to convert again. Clemson opens up the lead, and they get out of their game plan. What What I mean to say with all of that is Alabama can do a lot of the sim- a lot of similar things with that. And the problem that Notre Dame's going to have is the exact same. Can they when things go south, when Will Anderson catches Ian Book, is Notre Dame going to be able to bounce back and execute high enough to generate first downs because if Notre Dame tries to get in track meet with Alabama, they'll get blown off the field. But the original point being the stark difference I mean, that's what happens when you get back the middle of your defense. And to Clemson's credit, the Clemson front with Brzee and others has gotten better through the year. But, you know, more than anything, Drew, I thought Notre Dame was in that game. I expect they'll be in the game against Alabama for a little while. But their problem is when you play Alabama, we just saw it against Florida. If you make two or three mistakes, Alabama's going to jump all over you, and then you have to pray you can generate some negative plays or something to or some th- or some stops against an Alabama offense that's been almost unstoppable. And that's just a really, really tough assignment. That's probably going to happen against this Notre Dame firing Irish team, Drew. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I think that Alabama can still score on this Notre Dame defense. I mean – you look at when they had DJ Uyunglele for Clemson, and even without those defensive starters, uh, and it had to go into a couple of OTs, but certainly they still scored 40 points. If you're looking at uh, Clemson, they were still productive against Notre Dame, no doubt about it. It was a great football game. And then, of course, last week it was a 34-10 to shellacking, uh, or a couple weeks ago, excuse me. It was a 34-10 to shellacking of uh, – uh, you know, uh, with Clemson, uh, you know, whipping 
the uh, the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So, and Notre Dame's going to come in, you know, with a chip on their shoulder. They're going to be told that they're going to get blown out. But I still think this Alabama team, uh, they've been able to overcome. They, they've overcome adversity with Jalen Waddell. And they've overcome adversity with Slade Bowling getting injured. So I think they can overcome this situation with, uh, uh, you know, with Chris Owens at center and Landon Dickerson out. I think the team is going to be galvanized because they're going to want to win it for Landon. That's for sure. I think they're going to play well. And then I don't believe in the Heisman jinx just because Alabama's been able to already win it twice win national championships with Heisman Trophy winners. So I I expect Devontae Smith to show up big time again. He always does in big games. Najee's been the best back in the country. I, I like William has said, and you have also mentioned it, I think Notre Dame will probably get a big dose of Najee in the second half. And then Mac Jones, he's been really good in every game as well. I mean, he's been very consistent. Even when Arkansas – uh, played a lot of zone. He took what the defense gave them and still was 24-29, you know, for a little over 200 yards. It's Alabama's efficiency was still really good. The one great thing, uh, William, that I love about this offense and what Sark's done with it is they can play any style of football and succeed. And uh, last week, actually, they were trying to play keep away from Florida because of how explosive they were. So they ran the ball quite a bit early with Najee. But if, they, if Notre Dame has a light box, they can give them a heavy dose of Najee early. But if they try to load up and take Najee away, I think they can uh, throw the ball and have success against Notre Dame. Absolutely. And I, I think probably the, the biggest key to me um, about this season, and I, and I think the obvious things about how Steve Sarkeesian can put pressure you know, on a defense with quick scores and being able to, you know, score touchdowns from anywhere on the field. But really, if you think about this, this has been Alabama's weakness offensively um, for almost a decade. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. I called him Muscles, but he drove me nuts. Uh, Cade Foster. But just think about this, you know, a lot of defensive coordinators in the past would, would think, you know, if you stop, Alabama at, you know, your 35-yard line, you know, you've got a pretty good chance of them not being able to convert a field goal and get three points out of the deal. That that whole scenario has gone out the window. You know, if Sarkeesian isn't able to boat race you, you know, with big plays and can grind it out and get it to the 35 and your defense can get a stop there, more than likely Riker's going to convert the field goal. And that's still, you know, being able that, – that's always kind of been – in a pro-style offense, and I know this is a long way for a pro-style offense, but back when they were in vogue, that's basically what the offensive philosophy was for any college football team is to, you know, score a touchdown, uh, drive the ball, you know, down where you can have a chance to kick it a score, albeit a field goal, or punt the ball and make the opponents have to go 80 yards to score the other way. And that, that whole facet of, you know, let's get Alabama and, you know, play a bend but don't break defense and let them, you know, kind of fizzle out at the 35-yard line, well, Will Reichert's not going to miss many of those. No, he's not. I mean, he's been uh, tremendous this year. And then uh, we we, we, we kind of – we Thomas and I talked about how clutch it was, but even when they had to have it, uh, William, at the end of the Florida game, that was a great punt and and uh, pinning uh, Kadarius Tony into the sideline by Charlie Scott. Absolutely. Yeah, it really was. He uh, he pinned him in, and 
made Florida have to drive the, the length of the field. And, of course, the big sack uh, ended up by Will Anderson uh, and, and Christian Harris basically ended the game. But, William, I have to say, I, I, I guess my only small reservation in the deal is how well will Alabama's defense play? Uh, you know, we know they, they struggled against Ole Miss in the lead offense. They struggled against Florida. I'm not exactly sure this Notre Dame offense is elite. I do think that they're efficient and they have a strong running game and they have uh, Ian Book who can complement it. And then, as we said, good tight ends led by Mayer. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good player. And then the two solid wide receivers. But, you know, I, I still don't think they've got – they make a lot of vertical big plays. So uh, I would still think when you, when you look at it that, uh, that this would almost be a situation where – that uh, this kind of plays into Alabama's, uh, uh, you know, uh, with Trimble being the other big tight end, but he's only caught 19 passes. I still think this, when you look at this offensive approach, uh, and again, uh, you know, Pete Golding has come up, you know, snake eyes in some big games. I still think that, uh, that this is a pretty good matchup for Alabama defensively. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I think you're going to see them mix it up a little bit, you know, maybe come with some blitzes. But I wasn't aware that Notre Dame was down to their third team tight end. All right, so what's that the, tells the center? You? Yeah, yeah, the center. I mean, third, third team center, I'm sorry. And yeah. uh, so that, that tells me, um, if I'm Pete Golding, um, I probably do test the waters early on just to keep Book from, you know, being able to channel his inner Johnny Manziel. And yeah. let, let's see how that third-team center can match up one-on-one with Christian Barmore or Timmy Smith or even a Fidarian Mathis getting QB pressure straight up the middle. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, Thomas, I know uh, you and I talked about it, uh, and, you know, we both have been critical of Golding, though. With the near turnovers that were caused, I, I, thought, I still thought it was a B-minus performance against the Gators. It wasn't quite as bad as some were making it out to be. But how do you see Pete in this game uh, matching up with Notre Dame? Well, I think the thing that Alabama fans can internalize is that this Notre Dame offense looks a lot like the transition offense that we saw with Jalen Hurts. Fairly limited passing game, very solid running game. And – you know, to Jalen Hurts' credit, he left the field in 2016 with the lead. So it's not it's not impossible to move the ball around. But the problem is, once you kind of figure the offense out and you stymie the run, the Notre Dame passing offense is not going to be able to keep up. I think you're going to look at a situation where Notre Dame will have some success early and – Maybe even Alabama has to drop an extra safety into the box. But it doesn't shake that this is a really, really bad matchup. Because particularly, look at the edges of the Alabama defense. Pat Sertan is huge and physical. Josh Joes is huge and physical. Malachi Moore, pretty huge and physical. So where Notre Dame would want to try and get outside and assume that their gargantuan receivers – would be able to handle the the you know get seals on your DBs or even your offensive or your outside linebackers. That's not a given, given just the sheer size that Alabama is going to be deploying. 
I think Notre Dame is going to make it interesting for a quarter to a quarter and a half. But again, and not to sound like a broken record, I don't think they're going to be able to sustain. And if there's ever a situation where Ian Book throws an interception or there's a fumble or there are a couple of three and outs and Alabama goes pop, 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 you know, touchdown, field goal, touchdown in the span of five minutes, kind of like what they did to Florida in the, at the end of the second quarter. You know, Florida came back, came back from that, and Florida deserves a ton of credit for that. But this offense ain't Florida, and that would be enough to knock Notre Dame asunder, if you ask me. Yeah, that's, I, I, I tend to agree with that. And I wanted to ask both of you, too. I'll go with William first. Uh, you know, we. I think we. I believe Alabama is going to win this game, forty-five to twenty-one. I think they're going to ease away and win it. Uh, I'll, I'll get you to your two, your both of y'all's predictions uh, in just a couple of minutes. But I was going to ask about the other game. I, I, I'm still leaning toward Clemson over Ohio State. I'm really not sold on the Buckeyes. I, I haven't seen a ton of them. I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit that. But I did see uh, most of the second half of the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern. Sermon was tremendous. Trey Sermon, the graduate transfer running back from Oklahoma, but Fields was not great in that game. I didn't, I wasn't super impressed with who they were having to go against as far as Ohio State defensively. I still think with Trevor Lawrence healthy, Travis Etienne, who's tremendous, and then their defense now whole, that I favor Clemson by a couple of touchdowns in this game. William, how do you see that game? Yeah, I'm, I'm still scarred from, from the, choke job that Ryan Day did against Clemson last year in the playoffs um, in, 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 the, in the first half. I mean, he had them on the ropes and just totally took the foot off the gas. But um, I agree. I, I have not – I've only seen Ohio State in a limited – I've seen more of Clemson than I have Ohio State this year. Um, but when you look at, you know, there again, I, I just think that Clemson's offense is, is you know, too explosive – uh, this they don't have the, you know, the pass rushers that they've had in the past on Ohio State's defense, at least not that I've seen. Uh, I could see I could see Clemson beating Ohio State by a couple of touchdowns for sure. And Thomas, uh, what is your thoughts on Clemson Ohio State? Well, I actually have a question. My answer will depend on this question, William. Right. As, a, as a player, how would you react? You know, you're going through your game prep. How are you reacting to Dabo Sweeney continuously deep throating his foot and giving more and more bill, uh, locker room material to the Ohio State football team? How do you react if you're if you're a player in that situation? Well, I would say not so much as a player, but for somebody that's known Dabo for thirty plus years, all the way back to high school. Yeah, that, that's not the person. That's not the person that I grew up with, and I would say, you know, when he was trying to get his program, when he was in the building phase of it, um, I, I could see maybe trying to, you know, throw some stuff out there to, you know, make your team believe that they could get to the mountaintop. But they've gotten there several times and have gotten to the very top of it twice. So I think it's time to, you know, tap that down a little bit. Maybe that, you know, as he's gotten into, you know, his, his middle age, that, that's, that's just what he's become. But that, that's not the guy that I know. As a player, um, I would be kind of uh, just 
indifferent about it. I mean, you, you really don't. And let me say this. Uh, the, the only way that we saw locker room material when me and Dabo were playing was to read about it in the Tuscaloosa or the Birmingham News or, you know, maybe you saw it on SportsCenter. You know, we, we didn't have access to immediate news like these kids do where they can see it like that. But, you know, I think the product that Dabo's, you know, been putting on the field for the last three or four seasons, you know, speaks for itself. And that that's really not necessary to, you know, add fuel to the flames um, like that, in my opinion. But as a player, you know, you're, you're still just kind of indifferent. You still are going to, you know, go out there and go through your, your bowl prep and, you know, do your film study and um, – you know, and again, this is a different, in my opinion, this is more of an unknown. I think Drew touched on it. Um, I think this Ohio State team uh, versus the one that they faced last year is just kind of an unknown. I mean, when you look at the limited amount of game film they're going to be able to look at, they haven't played, uh, you know, but two very good teams, um, if that. Um, so this, this is more of an unknown. I mean, you know, could they show up and, you know, play lights out? Maybe, but they haven't played a team all year that's got the athletes on both sides of the football that Clemson's got either. Yeah, they, they, their schedule, I agree. The only decent team they play are good teams. They, they played Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, but they have, they were definitely not offensively, uh, uh, elite. They were an offensively challenged team. And then, of course, Indiana and Indiana was able to score points, uh, but wasn't able to slow down Ohio State and dug too deep of a big hole. But you're right; this is really kind of strange. Well, the, uh, with, their, with their limited body of work, uh, Thomas. Yeah. Uh, so, so to to go back to what do I think is going to happen? Right. I don't think this Ohio State team. I think this Ohio State team is two to three scores worse than last year's. Uh, right. There's no. There's nothing even close to Chase Young. And what are we going to get out of Chris Olave? Because the passing game without Chris Olave is not yeah. very good. <laughs> so I think that's a problem. I, ju- I think overall we're going to see a team in Clemson that has had an entire season to develop and dodge the injury bug versus a team that hasn't really had any sort of routine and hasn't been able to develop. Like that's the flip side of this discussion. I don't think Ohio State should be there because they haven't been tested through the grind, the week-in, week-out grind. But now that they're there, it actually is the converse, where you haven't had the games to develop, particularly in the case of Ohio State, which sent so many guys to the league this past year. And, you know, Clemson has. They absolutely have. What did I say earlier? You know, if if the group that came out against Notre Dame that first go – came out against Ohio State, Ohio State would win. But Brzee and all those guys that Clemson got as true freshman recruits have seasoned. And I think that's too much for Ohio State to get through. And I think we're looking at a couple of semifinals just in general that are over by half by the end of the third quarter. And that's gonna that's really gonna turn it up for either expand the playoff or give someone else a shot. And then I'll come on here and I'll say something on the order of just because one team, just because one team struggled in a weird year, doesn't mean that 
Cincinnati would give Alabama or Clemson a better game, it would probably be an order of magnitude worse. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I tend to agree. I, I would probably pick Clemson somewhere around, you know, 35-17. I think they're going to be impressive and win the game. I just don't – I don't know that I believe in Ohio State this year. If I had a bigger body of work, maybe so. But Fields is going to have to play the best game of his career. And, look, I'm still not sold on Fields. All this mess about, uh, you know, uh, him being the number two pick in the draft, I still think that's kind of blasphemy. I don't really know how good he is. So, uh, I just I'm not you know that Im- that impressed with him yet. He's going to have to prove something to me. He played well early against Clemson last year, but then Nolan Turner picked him off at the end of the game. He didn't play as well in the second half. He's going to have to really up his level to me in this game. Maybe he will be able to uh, in this Sugar Bowl. I mean, improve improve some things nationally. But right now, I have doubts about him. And Trevor Lawrence has played well in big games. Uh, certainly, he didn't play his best game against LSU last year in the national championship game. But he certainly led a spirited comeback against Ohio State. And when he's been in the lineup this year, he's been very good as well. He was very good against Notre Dame last week. So I'm going to go with the better quarterback, in my opinion. I'm going with Trevor Launch, and I'm also going with Travis ATN, who I, I don't think gets as much credit. Now, I don't think this without Justin Ross and you know and some of these other explosive guys we've seen from Clemson in the receiver core. I still think, you know, this isn't as good a one. You know, Amari Rogers is by far their best guy. And if he can make a couple of big plays, it'll be huge for Clemson. But I still favor uh, the Tigers in that matchup. And then, of course, Alabama 45-21. to 21. But as we're wrapping up the show, uh, you know, uh, I was going to uh, get a couple more thoughts from, uh, from you, William. What is your pick in the game, Alabama-Notre Dame? I'll give you that in just a second, but all this talk about Ohio State, this probably would have been more appropriate um, <laughs> last week when there were still a couple coaching searches underway. But I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on this. Um, is, is Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, does he just want to be a lifer at his alma mater? Because if you go back and look at what that program was before he became the head coach, He's basically got Northwestern in a position that would be the equivalent of somebody having Vanderbilt competing for their division championship every year and going to a Big Ten championship. I'm just shocked that nobody has made a serious run at Pat Pat Fitzgerald for any of these head coaching vacancies. I mean, that guy has done a hell of a job at a just dumpster fire college football program. Great academic institution. But they have yeah. zero, you know, football tradition at all. Yeah, and I've heard his name come up potentially if Notre Dame and Brian Kelly was ever able to go to the NFL, that Fitzgerald might be on their short list, and I wouldn't blame Notre Dame. I do think you're right. I think he's done a, a great job at a tough place to coach, no doubt about it. But, uh, Thomas, uh, your 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 thoughts and your, your pick on Alabama and Notre Dame. So, I think Alabama will win this game – 45-24. Yeah. I, I really yeah. – I, I, I just – I can't see – it's going to take so – it's going to take a game. They're going to have to play over their heads versus what they did against Clemson 1. Clemson number 1, if you ask me. And that just doesn't seem realistic for this team given what we just saw against the Clemson Tigers, particularly on offense. I mean – 
Clemson won 34-10, and they throttled down. Alabama throttling down will probably score 45-48 to if they choose to throttle down. I mean, that, that's, that to me is an open question just because, you know, Nick Saban's going to want a complete game from his squad because these reps matter. So I really I, – I think Notre Dame's in for a whooping. Uh, it's, gonna, it's not going to be as bad as 2012. Notre Dame is a better program and a better football team this go-around. But unfortunately, they are – they would give 2012 Alabama a great game. They're not going to give 2020 Alabama a good one, Drew. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, William, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot after I went on my Pat Fitzgerald tangent. Oh, I forgot no. to give you my pick. <laughs> no, no I, I, I think I think I think barring something crazy happening, you know, a pick six, um, uh, you know, something crazy like that. I, I think it's going to be about a 48 to 17 game. I, I, I really think it's going to be over with at halftime. I just don't think they can keep pace. Um, I, I don't think you know Notre Dame. You know, unless they're able to convert third downs and extend drives and play keep away, I just don't see how they can – I don't think they're going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. But I see it at 48-17. Well, and then my final uh, – and I and my final uh, thought from you, William, as we're wrapping up, we haven't spoken with you since the, uh, the last two uh, recruiting additions for Alabama. They had a monster early signing period uh, where, of course, they – they they were number one in the country. Now it's it, you know it's been strengthened by two additions. One has signed officially, Jaden Roberts from uh, from North Shore High School in Houston, the teammate of Damian George. He is a just an unbelievable guard as far as and uh, what I mean is a giant of a human, like a, a DJ Fluker type. I've heard his high school coach say he's really bigger than his listed size. Uh, he listed him at six six three seventy with a with a flat stomach and a size 19 shoe, he was Auburn's highest-rated offensive line commit until the Tigers made the coaching change with Gus Malzahn. He flips to Alabama to be the fifth member of that O-line group. Uh, I think Anquin Barnes from now from uh, Robert E. Lee and uh, Montgomery is going to be a defensive lineman and was very impressive in the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. And now they also add the number one running back in the country, and arguably were at least one of the top two, Kamar Wheaton from Garland, Texas, Lake Centennial High School. He's drawn comparisons to from Dalvin Cook. Uh, Alabama, it was thought maybe not was going to add a running back, but then with Trey Sanders' car accident and then with Keelan Robinson's uncertainty, they decided to take this kid who basically called them uh, and wanted to commit over Oklahoma. But, William, I have to admit, uh, they still may add another player or two, which means we, we may see a, a kid or two gray-shirted, but – it may be the strongest recruiting class. I know 17 was great, but this one right now, now that they've added a, a running back of that caliber, it's probably the strongest class I've seen Alabama have signed on paper under Nick Saban, and they may not be done. Yeah, and that's that's the scary part. I, I do think that, you know, the at least one, if not two, gray shirt possibilities are still on the table. And, um, you know, the the uh, you, you need to go back if you haven't had a chance to see it. Um, Jaden is not a real, not a half bad defensive lineman himself. Um, again, I, I think, uh, you know, I would, I would say I would compare him more to Evan Neal, uh, maybe than a, than a DJ Fluker just because of the way that he moves. Uh, right. You know, he's, he's got, 
he's got better athleticism in my mind than, than DJ did. And, um, you know, certainly isn't going to be coming to college at, at 400 plus pounds, but, uh, it was a great pickup. Um, you know, that running back, the, the O-line room, the running back room with, with the, the new running back signee or commitment, I should say, um, is just ridiculous. Um, still though, my two favorite players, uh, in this class, and th- this isn't going to change is, is when we get through with national signing day in February is going to be the offensive tackle Latham and the, and the defensive end outside linebacker, Dallas Turner, two freaks. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's a, it's a great class. And it's, I don't think Ohio state, even if they were able to get JTT, they can't catch Alabama. This is going down as one of the top three classes of all time and still would have the chance maybe to be the best of all time ratings wise, uh, depending on what pieces are uh, added late, whether it be a JTT or a Terry and Arnold from Tallahassee, maybe the best safety in the country. Alabama, I think in very strong shape with him. Uh, and then Brian Thomas, are they going to decide to bring Brian Thomas in from Walker, Louisiana, another uh, part of that wide receiver room? We'll see, but certainly an outstanding class from Nick Saban in Alabama. And now we want to see Alabama finish off Notre Dame and then come to you next week and be previewing yet another national championship matchup with either uh, Ohio State or Clemson being the next up for the University of Alabama. But we've enjoyed coming to you again, our second uh, episode of the week. We want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us and giving us his thoughts and uh, and after his holiday. And then Thomas the Wizard Watts, once again, doing a great job producing and giving his thoughts. I'm your host, Judy Armand. Uh, we really hope you've uh, enjoyed this look back. Uh, we had some thoughts from William in the SEC Championship game and then previewing this Alabama-Notre Dame matchup, which we think the Tide has a significant advantage. But we all hope to see a great performance and Alabama continue on this undefeated run. We'll come to you again next week with uh, the uh, wrap-up for the, this Rose Bowl matchup played in Dallas, Texas, and looking forward, hopefully, to a national championship matchup as Nick Saban tries to win his record seventh title as a coach and sixth at the University of Alabama. But good night, everybody. Continue to have a great holiday and roll tide.